Father, as we come today, I pray, Lord, that you would change our hearts so that we can sing with new, new hearts and new songs your praise. God, our, our minds can be overwhelmed with other things to praise, other victories. I pray that today, God, you would overwhelm our hearts with love for you. Our hearts on our own. We don't love you like we should. We celebrate other things. So I pray that today you would meet us here and change our hearts so that starting this morning and extending into the rest of our lives, we can declare your glory among the nations, that we can declare your glory all over West Central Illinois, wherever you've put us, whatever job, whatever farm, whatever home you've put us in. God, I pray that you would change us to be people that find a way to rejoice in you and praise you in those places. God, I pray that you would overwhelm us today with a vision of who you are and your strength and your might. It's so easy to look at the news. It's so easy to look at the world and be overwhelmed by armies and by governments. It's so easy to be overawed by money and power and celebrity and success. And so I pray that today you would go to war in our hearts and show us who you are so that, God, that we worship you as you really are, so that we're not afraid of people or armies or groups. We're not afraid of the future because the Lord is on our side. God, I pray, God, that you would, that you would increase our joy this morning so that we wouldn't mope our way through life, thinking that what it means to follow God is to just shrug and bear it. But instead, God, I pray that you would make us a joyful people, Rejoicing in you, confidently suffering because we know of the crown of glory that you've promised to those who walk with you. God, I pray, we thank you today for in this Veterans Day weekend. We thank you for those who have given their lives, given their time, given their energy. Some of them, they've given their health for our sake. God, we celebrate those who have gone and stood in between us and danger. And so we celebrate today, God, our veterans. We are thankful for the ways that they point us to the character of God who loves and sacrifices and serves. And so God, we, I pray your blessing on the veterans who are here with us today. We, I pray for your blessing on the veterans in our community. There are so many in, in, in the last hundred years, but especially in the last 20 years, that have given so much of their, their bodies and their minds and their health fighting wars on our behalf. God, so many, some of them dealing with uh, PTSD and injuries that are hard to put a diagnosis or a finger on. And so God, I pray for those in our community who suffer silently because they serve. God, I pray your great blessing on them. God, I pray that you would give them peace in their minds and peace in their hearts. God, we, uh, I th but we do celebrate and thank you for the way that they point us to the character of God. And we celebrate them this weekend. God, we pray today for the churches, our brothers and sister churches in, in Winchester. God, we, we thank you that there are so many believers that gather week after week to worship you, to grow as disciples, and to reach that community. And so we pray your great blessing there. God, we pray that the kingdom of God would come in Winchester through those churches. God, we, we pray that they would love you in the truth, they would see you as you are, that they would hold on to your word as there's so many temptations to let go of your word, to compromise your word. We pray that those churches wouldn't do that. Instead, that they would be built 
on the solid preaching and teaching and living of your word. And God, we pray that you uh, would do a mighty work in and through them so that many in Winchester get to come to know of the great God who loved them and gave his son for them. Pray your blessing on those churches as they gather this morning. And God, I would pray today for those in our church, several of whom are sick. Dave still undergoing his cancer treatments. God, we pray your great blessing on him and on Missy. We thank you for the answered prayers that you've given. We, we, we celebrate the ways it seems that you're growing him, even in the middle of so much, uh, such a long, drawn-out, wearisome battle. God, we pray your great blessing on them and on their doctors and on their nurses, on the care that they get. God, we pray for the others in our church who are battling different kinds of illnesses even this week. We know that physical pain often carries with it spiritual and emotional questions and pain. And so, God, we pray that you would give your great comfort, not just physically, but also spiritually and emotionally, giving comfort and security, reminding them that you're not taken by surprise by the injuries and illnesses that they carry. God, we pray that that throughout our church, you would remind all of us that you are not surprised by what we face. You're not You're not threatened by the challenges that this week ahead of us hold. But instead, you will shepherd and use everything that happens in our lives to do good to us. Pray that you would give us that, that great conviction, no matter what the challenges this week ahead of us hold. And God, we pray for the the many cars that pass our church day after day, week after week, some of them park here picking up and dropping off kids for the school. God, we pray your blessing on them as they, these, the people in these cars drive these roads. We pray that you would send us and send people to tell them the good news of the Jesus who saves and who changes. The, the Jesus who says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. God, we pray that they wouldn't just pass our church by, but that through us, you would reach into their lives and do good to them. Pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. My Grandpa Lloyd was a Dodge Ram guy. The only only truck I ever saw Grandpa drive was a silver Dodge Ram. His, when I, my first kind of memories of Grandpa, he owned an awning shop after retiring from the post office, he owned an awning shop, and he drove a probably somewhere between a 1979-1985 silver Dodge Ram. Some of you guys can picture the truck I'm talking about. And then somewhere around late 90s, Grandpa upgraded and got a new silver Dodge Ram. Yeah, They looked different by this point, but Grandpa, it was a Dodge guy. That was his truck. And my other Grandpa, I thought of as the the, my rich grandpa, he, or my first memory was he, he had a blue Chevy Silverado with a camper top, so you guys can picture this truck. I loved the truck. I really wish I'd gotten to drive it because it had the high beam switch on the floor with your foot. Uh, that was, I was like, man, when I drive, I can't wait to do that on it. And then we sold it before I could drive. So I never got to do the foot switch thing. But I thought grandpa was a Chevy guy until he got a new truck and he got a Ford. And I was like, I thought you were like, you're like, this is my brand. This is my truck. I thought you kind of were locked into something. And come to find out, Grandpa, he would, whenever he would get a new vehicle, 
he would somehow evaluate and choose, a, and it had nothing to do with, this is what I am. I know some people here, you're a John Deere family, or you're an Oliver family. You know, some, some here are like, no, case is the way to go. But you, so you guys know what I'm talking about. Like, you have a way that you decide about a vehicles, trucks, and things. Some here, you know, you, you, maybe you're like my grandpa, and you just go, what can I get a good deal on? What, what fits the price range that I want? And that's how you make your decision. All of us have ways that we make our decisions about big and important things. Today, we're going to be looking at a passage where Jesus, in his prayer, we've been going through this prayer of Jesus, where Jesus says, this is how the world is going to decide about me. This is how the world is going to make a decision about me. You and I make decisions about trucks, tractors, make decisions about where the house we're going to buy and the things that we're going to do. And we have all sorts of different reasons. But Jesus here says, the world is going to make a decision about whether I came from the Father or not by this. And so my, what I want you to be thinking about right now is I want you to be thinking not just, oh, what does the world think? What about that, that person in your life that you so desperately want to come to Jesus? It could be your sister. It could be your brother or your sister. It could be a grandchild. It could be your parents. And you go, what is going to make the difference in their life? Maybe it's somebody that you work with and you go, Jesus, what is going to be the deciding factor in their decision about you? Turn with me to John chapter 17, where we're going to see today where Jesus says is going to be the thing that makes the world's decision. John chapter 17, today we're going to be in verses 20 to 23. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them, and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me, and have loved them even as you have loved me. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word, I pray that you would give us ears to hear. I pray that you would use your word to make us new people who live out our union with you, our relationship with you, and then live in such a way that the world around us says Jesus comes from God. In Jesus' name, amen. These verses start with Jesus saying, my prayer is not for them alone. This word, my prayer, is super important because Jesus says, I don't ask for them alone. I think I've mentioned this before, but almost every reference in the Bible to prayer is to asking. And so anybody that says, oh, it's listening or it's something else, they're either mistaken or they're deceiving. Like When the Bible says pray, the Bible means ask. And Jesus says, I ask not just for Peter, James, John, and the other disciples, but he says, I also ask for everyone who will believe in me through their message. Which means that Jesus is here praying for you. If you have repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus, then these verses are Jesus' verses for you. 
Jesus is praying in these verses and asking the Father for something from, for you. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. And then, and then he says six that statements. Translations can kind of try to smooth it out, but there's six things in verses 21 through 23 that Jesus says, this is what I'm asking. I ask that all of them may be one. I ask that they also may be in us. I ask that the world may believe that you have sent me. He says, I've given them glory, and then he does the whole thing again, but he changes the order. I ask that, you, uh, that they may be one as we are one. That they may be brought to complete unity. And then he says, then that the world will know that you sent me and have loved them. Jesus is using these kind of intertwining all of these statements to do something that he says twice there. Verse 21 and then uh, again in 23. That God may do something in you like the actual you, the, the you in 2023, that God, that the Father may actually do something in you so that the world will believe that, the Son, that Jesus is God the Son who came from the Father. This is what Jesus is praying for in this. All of this leads to so that your mom might believe that Jesus came from the Father. So that your son or daughter might believe that Jesus came from the Father. So that the people who live across the street over there might actually believe the truth about Jesus. This is what Jesus is praying for in these verses. With this groundbreaking, he uses these groundbreaking truths, but all of it is supposed to lead to this point. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as I... You, uh, even as you have loved me. And so all of this is so that Manchester, Illinois might know Jesus. So that Scott County might actually know Jesus. So that West Central Illinois might actually know something about Jesus. This is what Jesus is praying for here. So that the United States of America in 2023, so that the the world might actually know that Jesus came from God. This is an this is an incredible responsibility that, we, that, there, that something among us happen so that the world would know and believe that Jesus came from the Father. What I want to show you in these verses is that as Jesus prays for the world to know, this is a call to you and I to practice fellowship with God and unity with His disciples so that the world knows Jesus. These verses call us to practice fellowship with God and unity with His disciples so that the world knows Jesus. So that your mom knows Jesus. So that your neighbor knows Jesus. So that that person that right now is the one that comes to your mind and weighs on your heart, and you say, God save them. So that they may know Jesus. This this passage calls us to do two things. Two things, two actions Jesus wants in your life so that the world will know Him. First, practice fellowship with God to tell the world about Jesus. So here, Jesus prays, and I said he says that six times. And he changes the order of it a little bit, but there's the the first thing that Jesus is asking for is that 
God's people, that his disciples would be united in relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Look at verses 21 and 22. He says, May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Verse 22, he says, That they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me. Jesus is here praying that we would have a union and fellowship between us and God, but between us and the Trinity, so that the world would know Jesus. Imagine, he could have said, go and tell the world about Jesus, which there are other places where he says, go and make disciples. But here he says, Father, I want them to be so united in relationship and fellowship with you that the world knows about Jesus. So he's not leaving us on our own with a command and says, go and do it. Instead, he says, come into a union and a relationship and a fellowship with the God of the universe so that that may empower the world to know something true about God. He doesn't leave us alone with a bare command, but instead he says, come into fellowship with me. We don't usually use the word union very much or communion. We use communion specifically when we're talking about the Lord's Supper. But we don't usually use the word union or fellowship a whole lot. But J.I. Packer in kind of explaining this word, says that the Puritans, when they would talk about the, the, the great blessing of the gospel is that God has invited us into a relationship with the God of the universe, united us with Him. And we are called to behave as the friend of the God who calls us friend. God has called us into a relationship so that everything else that we do, whether we're a homemaker whether we're retired, whether we're a farmer, whether you're a teacher or a teacher's aide, whether you're an administrator, whether you build homes, whether you work in a factory, that in every one of those places, God has called us to begin to behave as the friend of the God who calls us friend. That's what it means to practice fellowship or be united with God. And this is the fuel that Jesus prays we would have so that the world can know. Imagine, he could have given us lots of other fuel. If we, think about the, if we think about a lot of the ways that you and I would motivate each other to do something, we would say, well, here is the plan. Here is the punishment that's going to come if you don't do that. And Jesus instead says, hey, you know what the fuel is? It's God calls you friend and invites you into a relationship with him. And says, come and begin to act as the friend of the God who calls you friend so that the world can know that the Father sent the Son. This is the great privilege of the gospel. This is the great the privilege that God invites to his disciples is he says, I'm giving you a command, but I'm going to give you the power to do it by giving you a relationship. A relationship of giving and receiving of love that is the power so that the world can know. It's not a list of rules so that the world can know but it's a relationship so that the world can know the, the power of our witness comes from our fellowship with God. When, he was about two, when Oscar was about two and a half, we uh, didn't have enough money to fully furnish the biggest room of our house. It had like a 12-foot ceiling, and it was like somewhere around 30 by 30. So it was a huge room, and we could like furnish a part of the room, but it was huge. 
And so the kids would do all sorts of kind of play in that room. They could ride, at one point, I think they were riding bikes in that room before we got the sofa in there. But so the room was huge, and uh, we would find different things to do. And in the long winters, one time I just had the genius idea to get out my drone. My drone was not one of the big fancy ones that sprays the fields around here. It was the kind that would fit in the, you know, two hands. But it was kind of perfect for flying around in a large room. And so the kids and I would get out the drone and we would fly it. And some of the kids were way better at it, a lot faster than I was. But we'd fly the drone around the room. And Oscar really wanted to, uh, he wanted to fly the drone too. So he'd get in my lap and we would work the controls together. And we'd kind of fly it around and crash it into things and then pick it up and put the whole thing back together. And so that's what we would do this with this drone. That's kind of our idea of fun. And one day, Oscar doesn't come when, we're, when he's like called for dinner. And we're like, where's Oscar? And so we go in the other room and we discover that he's set the whole thing up. He's got the drone out. He's got the remote control in his hands. He's seated right where we are. And he's got the whole thing set up. He's got it, the, the switches turned on. And he's trying to fly the drone. But the thing he missed is he didn't know that there's a battery that goes inside. So he's sitting there, you know, hey, I'm flying the drone. Dad's not around. I can do this myself. But it doesn't work because he doesn't have a battery in it. And I was thinking of that story this week because so often we try to think, how, how can my neighbor, how can my parents, how can my siblings, how can my, my coworkers know about Jesus? And we forget the battery. And Jesus says the battery is the fact that God has united us to himself. So that we are not doing this alone. We are doing this in fellowship with the Father and the Son. And it is out of our fellowship with God that the world will actually know Jesus. So the battery for your witness to your parents. The battery for your witness to your kids or your grandkids. The battery for your witness to your coworker Is the fact that the God of the universe gave his Son for you. And unites you into fellowship and into friendship with Him. And so, do you, the, the question that I think this passage asks us is first, is do we actually seek other sources for the power for our Christian life? Jesus here prays that we may be so united with the Father and the Son. That we may have such a close relationship with God that the world can't help but sit up and say, Jesus came from God. Or do you seek the power for that in other ways? your own wisdom, your own strength? Is is the thing that comes to your mind when you think about your relationship with God, I should and I need to work harder and God must be unhappy with me or the God of the universe loves me and gave his son for me and he says he's going to give me everything I need for life and godliness. Is that the power that you seek? Because this passage calls us moment by moment to practice this kind of fellowship so that the world knows about Jesus. As you think through what the next months hold, maybe what your goals for next year are, is is the overriding power to make that happen the fact that you have been united with God in Christ. And so... You're going to depend on that as the strength and power to tell the world. So this, the first action Jesus wants in your life so that the world will know him is practice fellowship with God so that the world knows Jesus. Second action Jesus wants in your life from this passage is practice unity with Jesus' followers. 
to tell the world about Jesus. Practice unity with Jesus' followers to tell the world about Jesus. The model that Jesus gives, is that we look at verses 21 and 23. This is the model that Jesus gives. With the relationship between the Father and the Son, he says, should be what is normal. Just as you are in me and I in you, that all of them may be one. Verse 23, he says, so that they may be brought to complete unity, to, com- to fullness of unity. Jesus has already prayed for us to have fellowship with the Father, and now he prays that you and I's relationship with each other, you and I's relationship with every true disciple of Jesus would be the kind of relationship that is complete unity for the purpose of the world knowing Jesus. The the model that Jesus gives for disciples is just as you are in me and I in you. So that my relationship with you and your relationship with the people sitting next to you and so that our relationship with every true disciple is one that looks like the Father's relationship of love to the Son. We saw that earlier in John chapter 17 where Jesus says, Father, give me glory so I can return it right back to you. It is this giving and receiving of love that is in the the Father and the Son and the Spirit that Jesus says should be normal between us in the church so that between us and every true disciple is a relationship of self-denying, sacrificial, other-centered kind of love. Because that's going to be the factor that the world uses to decide. You see, the disciples' unity, it is, I think, joyful, self-denying, sacrificial, other-centered life is going to be the factor that they over there decide about Jesus. And those people over there decide about Jesus. And your son and daughter and grandkids are going to decide about Jesus because we love each other in the same way that the Father loves the Son. Most of the time, we think our attendance at church is not that big of a deal. Most of the time, Sunday night or Wednesday night or some event or the way that we talk to each other before or after a service is kind of not that big of a deal. But Jesus says everybody else in Scott County, all 5,000 of them, are going to make a decision about Jesus based on how we treat each other. I know some of you have grandchildren that you desperately want to know Jesus. I know some of you have brothers and sisters that you desperately want to know Jesus. So many of us have friends and neighbors that we've cried for that they would know Jesus. And Jesus here prays and says, Father, can the disciples' relationship with each other be the kind of relationship that you and I have with each other so that those people make their decision about Jesus based on it? A law is riding on our relationship. We wouldn't put it that way. But Jesus puts it that way. Francis Schaeffer, in his book, The Mark of a Christian, which is really all about John chapter 17 and this verse in particular, says that the world is going to judge whether Jesus has been sent by the Father on the basis of something open to observation. The world is going to decide, judge about whether Jesus has been sent to the Father on the basis of something open to observation. Our neighbors and our parents and our cousins are not going to be able to go and see an empty tomb. There's no cross left for them to go and look at. But there is you and I's relationship that's going to be the deciding factor. 
And so Jesus here says, Jesus here prays that you and I would practice unity with each other so that the world makes their decision about Jesus based on what they see. Which means it's a big deal how we treat each other. It's a big deal how we pray for one another. It's a big deal about how we spend our time or don't spend our time. Because that's the one thing that the people around us can see. You might be really good at knocking on doors and sharing, going and giving out tracts. Some people are really good at that kind of thing. They, kind of, they love that kind of thing. There are lots of different ways to share the gospel. But Jesus here says that one of the ways we will do evangelism is what we do moment by moment in loving each other. In helping each other move. In meeting one another's needs for a meal, for some encouragement. In the ways that we care for each other from Sunday to Sunday, during the week. The kind of sacrificial, self-denying life that we live is going to be the thing that tells the world most clearly, Jesus came from God. Which means there's a lot riding on it. So what does that mean? How do we begin to live that out? What does it look like for us to begin to spend our time thinking through how do I make sure that people in my life and the people in our church's lives, the people in our circle of influence know about Jesus because of how I treat other people in the church. Martin Lloyd-Jones once talked about the importance of church attendance. And I want to be mindful. Sometimes people are sick. There are times that things come up. But he was kind of commenting on something related to this and said, imagine if somebody came into a church service, just a few people sitting around, nobody cared, nobody sang very loudly, that nobody really talked, they just showed up and they left. He said, what if they come on a Sunday night and they go, oh, these people must not believe this stuff. They don't care. And so instead, in our mind, from moment to moment, as we decide, what am I going to, how am I going to spend my time in the church? What am I going to spend my life on? Part of it has got to be, if her son shows up at church, I want to be there to be a witness to him because I love her enough to show up. Imagine if the person you loved the most in the world and wanted them to know Christ came to church, wouldn't you want the rest of the church to show up and sing loudly and to love each other as a witness to them that the King of God has come? If you think about that person in your life, imagine the people sitting around you also have loved ones that they really want to know Jesus. And so the way we treat each other before the service, after the service, during the week, is going to be a part of our witness to each other so that when her son shows up, we get together to say, Jesus is from God and you can see it because we love each other. Because we sacrifice for each other. Because we show up for each other. Because we will spend our time and our money and our energy loving one another. Because the only way that that could have ever happened, the only, other, the only way somebody like me could become a self-denying, other-centered, joyful disciple is because Jesus came from God. This passage calls us to practice fellowship with God and unity with His followers so that the world knows Jesus. 
which asks us the question is, do you act as a friend of God? Do you live out your union with Christ or do you act as a servant of God or as a person just using God for your own goals? Do you pursue unity with God's people or do you only do what is convenient for you? Do you use God's people or do you seek to be a blessing to God's people? Do you keep short accounts of other people's sins or do you hold grudges and bitterness against other disciples? Does this passage have good news for you and me? The good news of this passage is that Jesus did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself for your sake so that you could have union with him based on his record, identity, and power. The good news of Jesus is that he gives his disciples his own record of love, patience, and unity with his disciples so that if you are in Christ, you have Jesus' record of loving his people. We are called to this work of unity from the record, identity, and power of Jesus, not for it. And that's good news for us to say when the Father looks at us, He sees the perfect record of Jesus. So now we can sacrifice for each other knowing that we have the smile of God on us and on our fellowship already. And from that, we get to live out a joyful witness in Scott County, in Manchester. Maybe you live in one of the communities around us. We get the joyful opportunity to practice our fellowship with God and with His disciples so that the world knows Jesus. But it all doesn't depend on our record. What if you've never trusted in Christ, though? What if you've never come to him in repentance and faith, and you say, what is it? How, I don't have this fellowship with God or unity with disciples. How can I get it? The Bible says that what you're feeling is conviction for sin. Because you rebelled against God and said, God, I will not live your way. I will not live in your kingdom. I want my own life, my own way, my own world. The Bible calls that sin and says the wages of sin is death. But instead of leaving us under the sentence of death, the Bible says that Jesus came and lived the life that we should live, died the death that we should die, and was raised to life. So that everybody who repents of sin and trusts in Jesus only to save them can be welcomed into fellowship with God, actually united with the God of the universe, not just said, okay, you can come back in. You can come back in and be a, a doorkeeper. You can just come back in and you can find a place in the crowd. Instead, you can be united in fellowship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Bible says that becomes ours through repentance and faith. If you have questions about what that means, please grab me. You can grab me while we sing at the end of the service. You can grab me in the hallway. You can call, call the church during the week. But let, let, don't wait for this week. Let today be the day of salvation for you. Let today be the day that you say, I'm going to give up my own way and I'm going to accept Jesus and be united with him. So this passage, it calls us to practice fellowship with God and unity with his disciples so that the world knows Jesus. I want you to imagine what changes in your own witness to whoever it is you're closest to that you want to know Jesus. Imagine what changes in your own witness when you Go into that relationship knowing God calls me his friend. God has called me his and I belong to him and I have fellowship with him. Imagine what changes in your witness in your workplace or in your extended family when you know deep down in your heart that your fellowship with the Father 
is secure because of Jesus. That sounds like a bolder witness, not a timid witness. It sounds like a secure kind of witness. I want you to imagine what changes in your home when you practice unity with Jesus' followers and fellowship with the Father. Imagine what changes in your home in the ways that you spend your time, in the ways that you spend your money and in your energy. Imagine what changes in our community when our church practices our fellowship with God and our unity with each other. Imagine what changes for the, the, the families that stop in the, at the bus stop and park in our parking lot day after day. Imagine what changes in their life when they get to see in our lives the reality that Jesus came from the Father and that's the only explanation for why Manchester Baptist Church loves each other the way they do. It's not because they look the same. It's not because they like all the same things but it's because Jesus came from God and changed our hearts from the inside out. And so now we live for each other. Imagine what changes in West Central Illinois when there are churches all over the community, these communities living out unity like this. That sounds like good news kind of churches in towns and communities that need good news. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would change my heart so that out of my relationship with you, I can love your people. And through that, we can tell the world the truth that God came and saves sinners. In Jesus' name, amen.